listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. So my friends, as we continue to explore ways in which we are to raise our children in the instruction of the Lord, we certainly need to speak of our kids in church. And that's what I want to do today. And uh, so thankful to have you with me, uh, members of Resurrection uh, and friends of our church from near and far. First part of our time together, I want to talk about the centrality of the church in the raising of our children. And that portion of our time together, I'll have in mind children across the whole age spectrum, uh, all parenting. The second part of our time, I want to talk about the blessings and the challenges of parenting in the pew. And here I'm going to have in mind particularly our little ones that we want to include with us in worship services. And that second part of our time will be particularly relevant for parents of young children. I have a lot to say, so I'm going to dive straight in. First main heading, the centrality of the church and the raising of our children. As I took up this subject, began to think through it, raising our kids in the church, uh, I found myself realizing that I need to assume rather than prove uh, some pretty big things in this podcast. Uh, For example, I'm going to have to assume your understanding and conviction about the centrality of corporate worship in the life of the Christian. I'm going to have to assume that uh, my hearers understand the primacy of the covenant community, otherwise known as the local congregation. Uh, in the life of the Christian. I'm going to also assume in this podcast uh, the membership of our children with us in our local congregations. Now, that's a lot to assume, I realize, and I could stop right here uh, and make the case for those things, and I think that'd be a great study. Uh, It would also be, though, a significant detour from a series on Christian parenting. It would really amount to a little study of ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church. Uh, I will just say that I do cover uh, in a basic way these issues in the membership class at Resurrection, Uh, and there's some video of those membership classes on our church website, and particularly uh, lessons two and three and four um, would be relevant to um, more establishing these things that I'm assuming in this podcast. What I want to do Uh, here today, though, is make some comments about the parental implications of these things that I'm taking as a given. The parental implications, in other words, of our ecclesiology. We believe in the centrality of corporate worship. We believe in the primacy of the covenant community in our lives as Christians. We believe in the membership of our children with us in our local congregations. And folks, uh, there's two realities I especially want to outline for you Uh, that are implied by all of this for us who are parents. Parents, number one, there's nothing more basic to the well-being of your children than your family's participation in the weekly worship of the church. Now, I say this about your children and the well-being of your children for a very simple reason. I say the same thing about you. Um, I could say there's nothing more basic to your spiritual well-being than your own participation in the weekly worship of the church. If I uh, think now just of my Presbyterian, uh, my fellow Resurrection members who are listening, uh, I trust we'll all recognize this is elementary, my dear Watson. Um, This is how Presbyterians speak and think and live. We, We speak of the sustaining grace of God coming to us primarily Uh, in the word and sacraments that are found there in the corporate uh, worship services of the church. The preaching of the word, the regular administration of the Lord's Supper, uh, in the context of this weekly liturgy that we think of as our renewal of our covenant relationship with God, folks, uh, as Christians, we are what we eat, and a rich and balanced spiritual diet is what regular attendance at a faithful church provides. We know this. Now I'm simply asking you to think on the parental implications of this. If you want for your spiritual, uh, sorry, if you want for your children's spiritual growth and prosperity, uh, if you want for your children what Nancy Wilson calls fat little souls, then you want them growing up 
with the weekly presence, uh, with their weekly presence in the house of God as a given. Indeed, I want uh, all of us to just be reminded that there is uh, certain things, there are certain things in our children's lives that should be fixtures. They should be constants, and we bless them unspeakably by ensuring that there are certain things in their lives that are absolute fixtures. For example, uh, they grew up knowing that dad loves mom and mom loves dad. That's just part of their life. That's a fixture in their life. They're, they grow up knowing that they're going to be taken care of, that they're never going to be hungry. Uh, they grow up, as I talked about a few weeks ago, knowing that they're loved, but not in charge. But friends, our children should also grow up knowing that when Sunday comes, there's only one place to be. I'll remind all of my fellow parents, there's a world of priorities that are taught by us as parents without ever saying a word, just by how we structure our lives for our children and with our children that has certain constants in it. We are uh, showing priorities when we pray before our meals. We are showing priorities when we have family devotions. We are showing our priorities when we are in church Sunday by Sunday. So uh, I'll just add this to what I said very early in this series on parenting. Remember when I told you that one of the greatest gifts you can give to your children uh, is a good marriage? Well, I'll put this one right up there uh, next to that. Giving your children a weekly worship pattern. That's one of the greatest things you can give to your children. As I say these things, I'm just remembering a couple of conversations recently with some of my brothers at Resurrection, some of my dad, brothers, fellow parents, uh, where you were reflecting on this particular blessing given to you by uh, your parents. And it's my testimony as well. I uh, did not have flawless parents, but praise be to God, I give them credit for many things. And this very basically was never a question of where we would be on Sunday. I am saying all this very mindful and aware that parenting as Christians is a lot more than taking your kids to church. And I'm aware that in some people's minds, it is only taking your children to church. And I realize that uh, you can be a lousy parent, but always be on time for church. That's what good Pharisees look like in the parenting role. But on the other hand, folks, uh, it is no small thing, these days especially, with all the com competition that a church on Sunday has in our culture and with all the loss uh, we've suffered as a culture of expectation and accommodation of church going, it is no small thing if your children grew up with weekly church attendance as a fixture in their homes. Uh, and I will say, uh, if this isn't true of your children, you are still trying to get to first base, my friends, uh, as Christian parents. I'm willing to put it that strongly. You can't hide your priorities from your kids. Uh, if participation in the life and worship of the church is not important to you, it will be even less so to them. If you're flaky in your church attendance, they will be flakier. I've seen uh, some pretty heroic parental priorities uh, in various ways over the years, some parents will do anything to be free for their child's birthday party, uh, to include telling their boss to drop dead <laughs> if he tries to uh, renegotiate uh, that with them. Uh, some parents wouldn't think of missing a game or a play or a recital. That would put them in the bad dad hall of shame. They wouldn't think of it. Well, my friends, let me just nail this first point. These priorities that I've just cited all pale in importance next to the priority of being with your family in the house of God. Your children growing up seeing in you a, I'll call it a cheerful determination that nothing will keep us from being in church. Nothing else in our family life is as important as this. So number one implication of our ecclesiology, for our parenting, there's nothing more basic to the well-being of our children than our family's participation in the weekly worship of our church. Number two implication, 
Friends, your calling as Christian parents is to instill in your children a love for the covenant community they're a part of. And here I'm uh, broadening my focus to include not just your kids' presence uh, and mere participation in worship, but also their own fellowship and their own ministry within that congregation that they worship with. Your kids need to grow up knowing that, yes, God's worship is important, but also they need to grow up knowing that the church community is at the center of their lives. Here again, you teach your children this primarily by example, by your own love, uh, by your own ministry within the local church community. So, for example, when your children uh, see you lingering long over fellowship that you're obviously enjoying after Sunday morning worship or Sunday evening worship, uh, when they see you eager to be in attendance, when various uh, Bible study or fellowship opportunities arise uh, in the weekly life of the church, when they see you pursuing relationships, uh, hospitality, and the like uh, with others in the congregation, they're seeing something in you that, well, especially the New Testament celebrates. Uh, It's a mark of authentic Christianity. John speaks much of this. He says, 1 John 3, we know we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Um, Acts 2.4.2, often quoted, uh, signs of spiritual life and vitality in the church there in Acts after the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost looked like devoting themselves, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So my friends, I'm simply encouraging you now uh, to raise children who realize that going to church is not just about worshiping God, it's chiefly foremost that, but it's also about being with God's people. Lead by your example and your children's own participation in the life of the church. I've noticed something pastorally over the years uh, about children in the church. They are typically, I'll put it this way, the unvarnished version of their parents when it comes to their attitude towards the church. In other words, they tend to be more unabashed, uh, less subtle versions of their parents. So if parents, for example, are just merely dutiful in their church attendance, guess what? Their children will be downright reluctant. If parents become uh, critics of the church, their children very often become cynics. If parents are at the fringe of the church's life, well, their children very often will drop out of the church life, the first chance that they get. Uh, Friends, this is a time when I would like to say a few words, uh, again, about children's ministries in the church. And I want to say a word that's strongly in favor of your children's involvement in them. Now, I uh, emphasized last week Uh, Youth leaders, pastors, elders, uh, staff persons of your local church are no substitute for parental instruction. And I said that because I'm aware that many parents, many Christian parents, try to outsource, you might say, their parenting to the church staff. And I was very uh, hopefully clear in saying the Bible places that privilege and that responsibility chiefly on you, mom and dad, to uh, instruct your children in the Lord. But now can I say, Sunday school, youth group, other such opportunities in your local church for the young people to get together uh, in fellowship and instruction, these are priceless opportunities, parents, for two reasons. Number one, uh, you should look at those pastors and those other Uh, teachers of your children in the church, as strengthening your hands as parents. I want my kids, increasingly I'm thinking my grandkids uh, when they come along, to, to have the opportunity to hear other godly men and women in the church saying the same thing that their parents are saying. I want, don't you want that? 
uh, your um, youth leaders, your pastors, your elders, your other godly men and women in the church who teach in Sunday school or youth group or what whatnot, they're strengthening your hands as parents. They're not doing your job for you, but they are strengthening your hands. And secondly, uh, those venues, all those venues that I've just cited, those are occasions for your children to grow into their own church connectedness, we might say. Your kids are, in those occasions, given opportunity to develop friendships with their brothers and sisters in the Lord in your local church. And parents, you should be all about that. You should want these things for your kids as much as you want them for yourself. And parents, you need to be prepared to lean in a little with your kids on this point. So say uh, the middle schoolers are having an event and mom says to son or daughter, I signed you up for the middle school of social. And you get this, mom, I don't really want to do that. Do I have to? Hey, mom, dad, that's a great teaching opportunity. You've got a moment there to talk to your kids about high ecclesiology (laughs) without those words. You have an opportunity to talk to your children about their own ministry within the church. Son, daughter, do you go to church? Do you go to church events? Just because you feel like it, is that why we do this thing we call church? You may not think you need that social outlet. You may feel just fine, just like you are. But that's not why we do what we do in the church. We do what we do in the church in order as much as anything to be a blessing to others. So, yes, you need to go and you need to be prepared to be a blessing to those that are there. Is there a youth group event happening at Resurrection? Parents, the culture of your home ought to be, I submit to you, of course we're going to be a part of it, unless of of course, there's some unavoidable conflict. Uh, in that resurrection membership class that I referenced a moment ago, I talk about the ministry of showing up, the ministry of just being present when there's gatherings of Christians. The presence of each one of us, young and old, is itself a blessing to others. And uh, for more on that, I couldn't recommend more highly the little book, How to Walk into Church. It's by Tony Payne. It'll take you only a few minutes to read, but it's so very good, and it's not just for adults. Parents, we should lead our children in their own connectedness, their own building of friendships and patterns of ministry, befriending uh, in the church just like we are as well. If your kids have no connection with other kids in your church. Parents, your kids are just marking time in the church. But your example in this uh, ministry of uh, showing up uh, will lead them to what is vital to their spiritual well-being as well as to yours. And be encouraged. If you love the church and if you're seeking these things for yourselves, your children, by God's grace, will love what you love. Uh, love for the church is contagious uh, in our homes. So, parents, it's our job uh, to secure for our children weekly presence in the church, and it's our job to instill in our children genuine love for the church. Those two things are what I'm calling the, the centrality of the church— the raising of our children, in other words, they're parental implications of our good ecclesiology. Now, for the rest of our time, I want to talk now about the blessings and challenges of parenting in the pew. Now, there is a book out there, I'm aware, uh, with that title. I've run across it from time to time. It's called Parenting in the Pew. Uh, But guys, sorry, I've never read it. I don't know a thing about the author, so obviously I can't recommend it, but I've always liked the title, Parenting in the Pew, and I like the title because, well, there is some serious parenting work that's involved in introducing our children to life in the pew, life in the gathered worship services of God. There's especially a lot of work to do on the front end. 
Now, as I record this podcast, there are many families at Resurrection who are smack dab in the middle of this season of family life. We are happily awash uh, with little people at Resurrection. There's more arriving every day, it would seem. Uh, And this is wonderful. Uh, I can't uh, say it uh, more earnestly and and, in a felt way. It is wonderful. But it does come with its challenges. And so here's what I want to do um, next few minutes. I want to talk first, or I want to say things first by way of reassurance to parents and non-parents in the congregation that it is worth it. Having our children with us in worship is greatly to their benefit and to God's glory, so it's worth the sacrifices that we all make for it. So I'm going to talk first about how it's worth it. But secondly, then, I want to give some practical instruction for how we parents can do this well. The blessing of having children with us in worship uh, can be lessened by irresponsible parenting. So I have some advice from one who once upon a time had uh, five trice kids, or as we like to say it, triscuits, uh, in the pew. First, let me talk about how including our children uh, in our worship services is so worth it. Now, I don't know that I need to make the case with merely um, my fellow members of Resurrection in mind. Uh, I think this is probably uh, something that goes without saying it's preaching to the choir. But uh, with uh, a larger, um, maybe a little (laughs) larger uh, listening audience, uh, I'm going to linger on this for just a moment. Uh, In light of something that's ubiquitous in the church in the modern era, and that is, of course, the ministry, the pattern, the practice of children's church. This is very common. It's a provision in many churches. Uh, At some point in the worship service, it's common to dismiss the children of the church uh, to another place where another kind of uh, activity will take place. Um, It's called children's church. And I think there's some very good intention reasons behind this kind of church program. I really do. I think there's the reasonable assumption, for example, that children— at least in our young, uh, their young age, are not going to be able to process everything that's done in the worship service, whether it's the liturgy or in the sermon in particular. It's also born out of a desire, I think, to give children a more age-appropriate version of what the adults are getting. I think that's the rationale for children's church. And I do not doubt that God has done great good through those sincere efforts to bless parents and to bless their children. But... <laughs> This has never been the practice of resurrection for some pretty conscientious reasons. Number one, uh, there's a powerful teaching opportunity that's missed when our children are simply dismissed for uh, all or part of a a church service. Uh, To be sure, our kids don't understand everything we're doing in that worship service, but that's true of a great deal else that they experience in our homes, and we do not adopt the practice of talking baby talk to them nonstop because they couldn't understand bigger words. Rather, <laughs> we teach them. Uh, we uh, lead them into deeper understanding by saying things that are over their heads uh, so that they will acquire understanding. So in worship, we are able to teach our children the words of the Gloria Patri, for example, or the Lord's Prayer, or certainly how to say amen at certain parts of of the service. Uh, And that is our way of teaching them, bringing them up in these practices of worship. Second reason for our practice at Resurrection, not to dismiss our kids to children's uh, church, is that worship is a gathering of the covenant community, and our children are members of the covenant community. As Presbyterians, we should be especially loath to convey to our children uh, that what we are doing when we worship God is not for them. Uh, if God is drawing near to his people in a special way, in those gatherings for worship, then our children have a right to be part of that. And the third thing that motivates us in our practice at Resurrection not to have children's church is that, well, God himself loves the worship of children, his youngest disciples. We do not want to convey to our children that, well, this is something only adults can do. 
that God only wants from adults. We will, in fact, get on the wrong side of our Savior, if I may put it that way, in light of how much he has to say about children uh, in his ministry. So um, we Presbyterians, we at Resurrection see as confirmation of all these principles, the pattern of worship we find in places in Scripture like Deuteronomy 12. It's emphasizing the worship in Jerusalem that required a certain pilgrimage. Uh, And we're told, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters. It goes on to say, your male servants and your female servants and the Levite that was within your towns. You could look at Deuteronomy 14, the festival of the tithe, Deuteronomy 15, the feast of the firstborn, Deuteronomy 16, uh, the feast of weeks, or Pentecost as we call it, and see references to children. So if there are any uh, who are new to resurrection and are wondering what are the convictions that lie behind our practice in this area, um, you uh, should see uh, that this is key to our parenting on the one hand, teaching our children uh, how to worship God from their own participation in it, Uh, and it's foundational to our identity as a church. Our children are loved, uh, and their praise is precious to the one we're worshiping. I have... uh, I've joked um, from time to time about this subject when it's come up in our uh, congregation that if if we at Resurrection did have a point in the service when the kids were dismissed, I think it would feel like there was no one left. <laughs> we'd have this great mass exodus, and we'd be around looking at each other, uh, wondering what happened. So, my friends, I think uh, the case for keeping our children with us in the pew is strong, and it's worth doing. But, here's a transition, but, folks, let's face it, it's also quite a challenge. Uh, It's a challenge for us as parents, because it can be a distracting, a stressful, just a tiring thing uh, to work with our children in the pew. It can be a challenge for us as a congregation, because kids and their presence can be pretty disruptive. Uh, In fact, uh, the presence of children in the service can become a point of tension in a congregation. Young parents, noisy, needy children, well, they can often be insecure and self-conscious and sensitive about their kids. And on the other hand, other young parents on the opposite end of the spectrum, they can be presumptuous and oblivious to the disruption that their kids are causing. Uh, older folks in the church, for their part, well, they can be impatient with the noise. They can, in subtle or not-so-subtle ways, convey their irritation. They can jump to conclusions in their heads about irresponsible parents, I think in some cases forgetting their own experience that is receding into the past. Now, I, I am happy to say we have been spared so much of that tension uh, at resurrection, a lot of grace over a lot of years that I've seen, shown to each other. But there have been those tests, those moments where we've been tested in this area. So uh, specifically and especially to parents of young children, perhaps parents who are beginning uh, their uh, parenting careers, uh, think about it. Worship services at resurrection, at least, are a minimum of a, a, a minimum of about an hour and 15 minutes, sometimes a little more. Uh, And I'll just add twice a day. That's a lot of time, isn't it? For, say, a three-year-old to be in the pew. So how can we do this? Because it is worth doing. But do it well. We'll spend the rest of our time on this. I want to talk about the kind of parenting that's needed to make our children's presence in worship a blessing. And uh, I feel a little self-conscious right now, uh, and I want to get something uh, clear here at the outset of this particular section. Uh, For most, well, sorry, for all of my parenting career, uh, I have had a pretty conspicuous place outside of the pew on Sundays. Uh, In other words, behind the pulpit. So, Uh, I have had less experience directly in parenting in the pew, and more of that in my household has fallen 
uh, to my wife. So as I was readying some thoughts for this podcast, I did a good long consult uh, with my dear Ashley. And with her help, I have compiled what I'm going to call the ABCDs of parenting in the pew. Four things that I want to say to my fellow parents. Letter A, don't ask your children to do something on Sunday that they haven't practiced during the week. That's first. Indeed, don't ask your children to do something that you haven't practiced with them during the week. Uh, Think about it. You're going to be asking your child on Sunday to sit still. At least you should be asking your child to do that. Uh, You're going to be asking your child to be quiet. Or you should be prepared to ask your child to do that on Sunday. You're going to be asking your child, in other words, for a measure of self-control and self-discipline as they join you in worship. Now, folks, it's not too much to ask, but it is a big ask. And you shouldn't ask for it all at once on Sunday. There should be many a practice session in your home each week for what they're going to do on Sunday. Now, how would that happen in your homes? (laughs) Friends, the most obvious place to practice for Sunday worship is in family worship. That would be podcast number 20, uh, the one I just most recently did. Friends, uh, that's where your tykes can get used to sitting on mom and dad's lap or beside you on the couch where they're not allowed, at least for a little while, to get down and to run around. That's where family worship, he or she, your son or daughter, can be taught how to be quiet. No talking just now. No singing, not just now. That's where your child can learn to, well, control all their little urges of self-expression for the sake of something important that's happening that they are a part of. Now, sooner or later, your practicing at home is going to have to involve parental discipline because at some point, your child will figure out what you want and they will resist it. They will not want to do what you want. And that kind of resistance is going to become a disciplinable offense of one form or another. But parents, if you save all of that parental work for Sundays only, I submit to you, you're not only being insensitive to your kids, you are being insensitive to the rest of us in the congregation, and you're making it hardest on yourself. Uh, At home, you have all the freedom to make uh, in increasing increments, certain sustainably small times where son or daughter, junior, uh, has to sit still and be quiet and, and learn this discipline. You're not under the pressure that comes from knowing there are 250 or maybe somebody's listening from 2,500 uh, people. Really, uh, Sunday, if it's the first and only time, of the week when you expect this kind of behavior from your kids, as my daddy would say, uh, parents, you're crossing the river at the widest point. So start your family worship for all the reasons I spoke of last time, um, but for this one more reason. So your children are in good practice by each Sunday. That's A. Don't ask your children to do something on Sunday they haven't practiced during the week. B. Make your kids good behavior in worship, a matter of both instruction and discipline. So parents, if you're going to include your children in the worship of God, as you should, you have got to be willing to insist on behavior that's in keeping with the reverence that we should have for what we're doing, for who we're meeting with. Uh, This is not a basketball game. They're not sitting in bleachers. This is the holiest thing that can be done on earth. And that needs to be something that even from an early age, you impress on your children and hold them increasingly in keeping with uh, their growth and development to a behavior that's commensurate with it. Now, what I'm about to say is motivated not by what I see on a weekly basis at Resurrection, but what I have seen for roughly the last 50 years of going to church, okay? And here's what I want to say. Parents, you have 
no business. Bringing your children into the place of worship without reasonable expectations that they'll be responsive to your instructions to honor what we're doing in that place. If your children are coming into worship with you, expecting to be able to talk, to laugh, to cry, to roam about like they're on the playground, then you're being irresponsible as a parent and as a member of the worshiping community. Their presence is in danger of becoming not a blessing but a curse. Uh, Folks, let's face it. If you brought noisy, free-range kids to the symphony with you, you'd probably be escorted out. I mean, if you brought them to a movie, a certain kind of movie at least, you'd probably get dirty looks at least from somebody. What's happening in the worship of God deserves reverence and self-control from all of us. And you parents, you need to be assuming the responsibility for uh, seeking that in your children. So, on a weekly basis, uh, set your children's expectations by your words— in advance about what's being done, review the rules with them. That's how they'll think of it. The rules for how to be in church and be a good boy, a good girl. Uh, Remind them of the privileges and the responsibilities of it. And yes, uh, give the warnings if there need to be warnings uh, about the sins that you've perhaps seen uh, in them. And if Junior uh, has a bad morning, as he will inevitably, well, Uh, You'll need to take him out. There'll need to be some kind of discipline, and you'll need to think I'm simply part of a a series of steps, proactively as possible, to ensure that he's growing in understanding of what you expect. Children uh, moving through their years with us in the congregation, well past the young years, uh, need to be taught to be sensitive to those who are around them. Uh, They need to have an awareness that their behavior in the place of worship has an impact on others. That's one more aspect of maturity that you should be mindful of. That's why they can't stand up as little boys and girls in the pew, turn around, look at people, make faces, etc. That's why they're being taught to be um, attentive to the one that's behind the pulpit and attentive to what's being done. And friends, as I say these things, I... Uh, recognize all this is a process with many a messy moment along the way. I'm wanting uh, to get clearly in mind of all my fellow parents of the goal, what your pursuit is. I can't count how many times over the years I've had a parent come to me after a worship service and say, oh, I'm so sorry for the distraction of my son or daughter. I took them out and I know it was really loud. And you know what my response almost invariably is? I didn't even notice. That's been my response. I I think it probably has something to do with the fact that I grew up in churches with small children, uh, and those little messy moments arose. Uh, I grew up that way. And also, there's something about a, I don't know, um, pastors might be like mothers in certain respects. When they're preaching, they can tune certain things out, and then there are other things they cannot tune out. And I've always been able to tune out uh, little kids behaving badly. But, my friends, not everyone can, especially if they're three feet away. So don't feel bad for the bad days, despite your best efforts. We love you. We love what you're doing. We're in your corner. But parents, be sure you've got that plan, and you're taking steps to correct bad behavior. Uh, That's all that we can ask. While I'm on this subject, um, can I just say something uh, that I think shouldn't need to be said, but might in some cases? Uh, And that is that even human beings with very tiny bladders (laughs) can, in fact, make it through a church service without wandering in and out to go to the bathroom. Really, it's true. If your child has emptied his bladder, at 9.20 a.m., for example, he can make it to 11 o'clock. They do it all the time when they're playing with each other during the week. Now, as I say that, I add hastily, uh, to achieve this, Mom, Dad, you're going to need to arrive early enough with your young children to make that little trip to the bathroom so that they don't have to go truly and sincerely in the middle of the worship service. That's on you. Uh, mom and dad. But do this, do these little things like going to the bathroom before worship 
as uh, those who are concerned for uh, eliminating all unnecessary distractions by our children uh, in worship, uh, to be sure. Uh, Without that kind of intentionality, uh, worship, as I have observed from time to time from the pulpit, uh, looks like um, at some point little migrations coming in and out with the inevitable cost uh, of distraction, particularly uh, during the preaching. Parents, um, uh, your children will very quickly get sophisticated enough that um, they will have reasons to pose to you for being allowed to leave the church service uh, simply because they're bored. Um, And your expectations in this area need to have everything to do uh, with the holiness of what we're doing. Uh, If I can speak to any non-parents who are uh, listening to this point in this podcast, uh, can we agree uh, to those who are not actively parenting at this point, can we agree that it makes sense to uh, leave those coveted back pews in our sanctuary for our brothers and sisters who are doing the good and hard work of parenting in the pew, with young children especially. Everybody wants to sit in the back pew. I get it. It's not just Baptists. It's Presbyterians. It's everybody. But uh, if you're a church member not involved in active parenting and you're sitting in the back of the church, don't complain to me, at least, about the noise and the distraction. My friends, walk the aisle. There's plenty of room up front. Um, Leave the places closest to the door for parents who really are going to need to get up uh, and as part of their training, take their child out at least for a few moments. A word of the wise, I'm sure is sufficient in this case. Uh, Letter C, letter B was make your kids good behavior in worship, a matter of both instruction and discipline. C, don't, in all your zeal, to include your children in worship, Start doing so too soon. Now, at least in the circles that I have pastored and also fellowshiped prior to my pastoral ministry for many, many years, I'm aware that this uh, third point uh, might ruffle a few feathers. So I'm going to speak as gently and as earnestly as I can, and I simply ask my fellow parents to hear me out. I have a plea for realism for my fellow Presbyterians. I submit to you that there is a season in a child's development. It's relatively short, I believe, but there is a season in a child's development when it's typically not profitable for you or your kids to have them right there with you the whole of the worship service. Now consider with me a couple of obvious states of child development as it relates to parenting the pew. Uh, So we begin with the newborn. He's or she has just come uh, into your family, and they're now making their trips out of the home. And you know what? Uh, My observation is that uh, newborns, especially if they have been strategically fed right before worship, they can sleep the whole church service away. They're capable of sitting still and being quiet. And first-time parents might actually think, at least for a little while, boy, this parenting in the pew is a breeze. But then, as most of us know quite well, and many from experience, I don't know when it is exactly, maybe month five or six, depending on the baby, well, there's some serious self-expression that begins, right? A baby's got greater self-awareness that comes along with greater degrees of fussiness and the ability to express it. You might say baby uh, eventually finds his voice. Uh, He's also in the process of finding his will. And even when he's in a good mood, uh, he may be adorable as he is loud and constant (laughs) in that adorableness. Um, I'm not sure which is more distracting, to sit behind a loud, adorable baby or a loud, fussy baby. They're both very distracting. One is more pleasant than the other, of course. Now, friends, a question for you. Regarding that second stage, month five, six, whenever it comes about, can we agree that this is a season of baby life that comes well before it's realistic to insist on quietness and self-control 
baby's just too young for us to insist on that. Uh, It would be utterly inappropriate to discipline for disruptiveness at this stage. I think we can all agree on this. I hope we can. I'd like to submit to my fellow parents uh, that that's the stage at which it may well be too soon to try to include your children in the worship services of the church, at least if you have another option. And at Resurrection, uh, like most churches, you do. You have another option. It's called the church nursery. Now, I feel like uh, there are some strong feelings about this whole subject of the church nursery. Friends, can I share with you what was the Trice family's pattern, uh, for what it's worth, of a grateful use of the nursery, a grateful, strategic, relatively brief use of the church nursery. And then I want to tell you why I think it's better than the alternative. So I've already talked about the first few months of baby life. They are actually quite portable and quite quiet uh, with that strategic nursing. And um, I'll leave counsel in that area to my wife, but she would simply point out uh, that in our family, uh, the patterns for nursing the newborn in the home, the, the youngest member of the household, were really set by the needs of Sunday's schedule. But talk to Ashley more about that. Uh, sisters, if you wish. About the month five, six, thereabouts, to about the time, my wife reminds me, of uh, 16 months, 18 months or so, the Trice babies uh, got lovingly dropped off at the nursery. We made that stop on the way in on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings. Now, at our church, like uh, I think most churches, the nursery is staffed by members of the church who are females, who are trusted, who love our children. And folks, we regarded their willingness to watch our children during worship as a ministry to us in our neediness. Five Triscuits uh, coming along roughly six years or so. Uh, We had parenting going on the pew even without the youngest. So it was about the year and a half mark after the preparations I already talked about in family worship that we began to bring the baby back in to church. Not all at once. Um, we'd start out by certain periods of time in the opening parts of worship. By the way, the opening parts of worship are where uh, crying babies or babies who are making noises are more easily observed because uh, absorbed rather because we're singing, we're doing things like that. Uh, that <laughs> that final hymn right before the sermon started. That was a key point early in our introducing our children to uh, worship when a baby was taken back to the nursery because there had been that um, that first half of service. By the way, I think my wife would um, probably note at this point, uh, during that time when we were increasing the increments of time to include our baby in the worship service according to their uh, growing ability to do so, we never let it be uh, our toddler's understanding that they could leave worship when they wanted to, registered by being fussy. No, we we set the timetable, uh, and baby went back to the nursery at the point we had decided in advance. That was an important thing, lest uh, children come very early to the th- uh, thought, if I cry, I get goldfish crackers in the nursery. Anyway, uh, bottom line, for about a year, give or take a few months, uh, Trices were very thankful for the ministry that was represented by the church nursery. And I'm commending it in some kind of pattern like what I've just described to my friends at Resurrection. Um, I am aware, as I do so, there have arisen any number of objections to this. Some of them are very highly principled But Pastor Trice, you said they're members of the covenant community. Yes, I did say that. Some of them are uh, hygienic reasons. Do you realize how many colds kids catch in the nursery, Pastor Trice? Some of them are just sentimental. I just don't want to leave my baby, especially uh, first-time parents. And guys, I get it on each of those levels. But can I tell you what I see as the alternative to this short-term, very strategic use of the church nursery. Here's what it is. Pastorally, in particular, I say this. I think the alternative is mom or dad, but usually mom, spending months 
if not years, depending on the rate at which such a family is growing, in a state of semi-starvation for the means of grace, they're uniquely found in the worship services. Did you hear what I said? I'm talking about moms and dads, but especially moms, who go long periods of time when they have no ability to fully engage in a whole worship service of God. That's not good for anyone, my friends, especially moms and dads in some of the most exhausting, spiritually demanding seasons of their life. I really have seen this over the years. Parents seem, I'll put it a little bit dramatically, to enter a black hole of worship participation due to this notion that I have to have my baby with me at all times. So what that practically looks like is a high-demand baby with his parents in worship every Sunday until it just becomes, well, too much. He's too disruptive. And then mom or dad spend the rest of the worship service bouncing baby around somewhere on campus, um, perhaps hearing some scraps of the sermon uh, through the speakers or what have you. But I sometimes wonder going home thinking, well, um, I was there. I hope that's something. (laughs) Oh, my friends, I'm not uh, here's what I am uh, seeking to do. Not just be realistic about what's fair and right to expect of our kids. Not only am I being in this sensitive to the needs of the larger congregation, I'm primarily concerned uh, that parents, dads, but especially moms, uh, have the full benefit of the worship services of the church. So my advice uh, to parents Uh, of children five or six months old is all the way up to that first year and a half. Get used to parting with your baby. Um, It's a good preparation for more of that to come. Uh, Embrace the risk of the covenant cold, as it's sometimes called. Hey, it'll be good for their immune systems in the long run. Uh, Even in Ezra's day, as he gathers the people of God, We read in Ezra 8, as they're about to hear the reading of the law, it was men and women and all who could understand what they heard who gathered on the first day of the seventh month. I think that included a lot of kids. That assembly included a lot of kids uh, hearing the reading of the law, but apparently not all of the kids, especially the ones who would be taxed by it and um, wouldn't have a clue what was going on. Uh, Let me just wrap this uh, particular point up by saying, if your parental conscience won't let you leave your child to someone else to care for in the nursery, we will honor that, of course, to be sure. We have fundamental sympathy uh, with you. You, um, I want your kids in church. Uh, But my ambition here has actually been to give your conscience a little relief. It may be a relief to some of you to realize it doesn't have to be this hard. It's actually okay to accept that ministry of others taking their turns uh, to give you access to all the means of grace uh, in the worship services. And are there kids with special needs, uh, emotional other or otherwise, that make the nursery unwise? Surely, absolutely. There are always exceptions, uh, I think, to any rule of wisdom. But just remember, every little tyke thinks they have a special need for mom. <laughs> Every baby is working on a monopoly of mom and mom's time and attention, just uh, recall. Well, I said there were the A, B, C, Ds uh, of parenting in the pew. C was don't, in all your zeal to include your children in worship, start doing so too soon. D is this, lastly, be creative, my fellow parents, in leading your children Uh, towards meaningful participation in worship. I get it. We do not as parents want our children to associate uh, going to church with daddy saying, shh, or mommy saying, hush, be still, be quiet. We want that to be a temporary phase. Indeed, the discipline of Uh, the instruction of sitting still and being quiet so that you can participate as a whole congregation. We want that to be a stage. We don't want that to be the long-term perspective of our children, Uh, indeed. We want them to give themselves with us 
to meaningful participation in worship. So I have so happily seen parents at resurrection and joined them in yesteryear doing all kinds of things uh, to make our children's participation in worship as, well, doable as possible and as profitable. So in the early days, uh, soft toys came out at a certain place in worship uh, there in the pew to keep our children uh, occupied. Children's books uh, were often part of our parenting in the pew, typically Bible story books. We let our kids draw in church, and uh, we especially encouraged them to draw something that they were hearing in the sermon. And I'll just say, I have kept some of those drawings, <laughs> doting dad uh, that I was in those years. I kept some of those drawings really uh, precious to me, drawings of points that I made in my sermons. Of course, uh, the well-timed mint, <laughs> getting passed down the pew at the point of maximum fatigue, I, I think these are all uh, wonderful little ways uh, to help our children uh, remember the limitations of uh, y- the young years. Remember those limitations and seek to accommodate them uh, in these and other kinds of ways. Uh, you may not, face it, uh, be able to make a 45-minute sermon a five-year-old's favorite part of the week. Uh, we need to be a little more realistic than that. But you can show uh, that five-year-old that you're seeking to make it doable for him and, and that uh, you're willing for him to uh, grow into a meaningful participation of it. Uh, as your children get a little bit older, they're beginning to to write. They know how to write. Um uh, we used to um, encourage those entering that stage to listen for important words in the sermon and write them down. Uh, that gave rise for to conversations afterwards about why that word was an important word. Um, sometimes we, because uh, the preaching at resurrection tends to be very clear in its points, we'd ask the kids to give us the points of the sermon so they'd at least have an outline of the sermon. Eventually they had pretty impressive notes to show us of the sermon. Um, Early, early, early on, um, kids can put money in offering plates, and uh, our children were given their own contribution, since they weren't big moneymakers in the day, uh, to the tithe, uh, to the uh, offering, to the plates coming around. Eventually, where you want to get parents as being able to debrief with your kids after a worship service and say to them things like, I was so edified by Elder So-and-So's prayer of confession. Um, or wasn't that a great hymn we sang? We, we, we're we learning at church. I loved it when Pastor Rosser said in his sermon, this or that. And what you're really aiming at is to share the experience of worship with your children, not only in the moment, but as you talk about it afterwards. My wife's encouragement uh, to uh, you who are parenting in the pew is that, yes, uh, there is a season of discipline. Sometimes it's not pleasant. It's hard. It's demanding. Um, But her encouragement would be, uh, don't lose heart. Um, Like in other areas of our lives, discipline, though unpleasant, leads to rich fruit Uh, And it is leading our children towards a love for what we are doing. Your children will learn to love what we're doing on Sundays. They will love it, by God's grace, as you love it. I will wrap up at this point just by saying uh, this whole subject of kids in church happens to be one of the things that I have been over the years proudest about with regard to my congregation. Uh, When we have visitors, for example, uh, the two things that I hear more than anything else over the years from newcomers to our church is, number one, your congregation is so friendly. I love to hear that. I'm so proud of my church when I hear that. And the second is uh, almost right on its heels, and you have so many children that are so well-behaved in church, indeed, and that doesn't just happen. Uh, It's a it's a a factor of our ecclesiology, if I may speak so, and it's a, pra- uh, a factor of our parenting in keeping with that ecclesiology. I love this about worship at Resurrection, folks. 
I love, among many things about our worship, the sound of our children with us. Sometimes they get their amens off, and you get a little solo amen, and I love it. I love it. Uh, The sound of our children in our worship. There's a lot more that could be said about kids in church. I think that's all I should take time to say now. Uh, Thank you, folks, for considering these uh, offerings of parental wisdom. And do be encouraged, my fellow parents, all who are listening. Be encouraged. Uh, Christ is risen. You've been listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice, a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. If you've been blessed by today's podcast, consider sharing it with someone you know. And thank you for joining us.